Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Here we are, Mike and Mo, back again, episode 34. And if you're like me, here in Orlando or the southeast coast of the U.S., we are bracing for Hurricane Matthew. But it's okay right now. Things are just starting to get a little windy, a little rainy out there. We are going to power on as long as we have power. And we are going to come to you with episode 34. So, Mo, how are things in nice, cozy Brooklyn, New York? <laughs> We're not dealing with any rain, I take that much. Uh, there's sun, a little bit of clouds, no drizzle. So, um... Don't worry, Mike. I'll send some extra generators if you need them out there in mm-hmm. Orlando, it, just in case the show uh, extends two hours and you need some extra time. I so might. As you said, rain is picking up, so you may need that just in case. And just know that the people in Brooklyn have your back. You I know? appreciate that. Absolutely. So we're going to we're gonna get to a lot of different stuff today. We're going to start off the show with a little, little Beckham talk. We're going to hit on the uh, MLB postseason and the two wildcard games, the two fantastic wildcard games, might I add. One. NBA- There's only one. Well, there's two if you're not a Mets fan, but one if you are like Mr. Moe. We're going to touch upon a little bit of the NBA preseason, and of course, we're going to get you ready for the newest week of the NFL season, Week 5, coming your way, starting tonight, actually. But before we do, Moe, what is going on in the world of Odell Beckham Jr.? Well, if you watched the Monday night game, Odell Beckham Jr. had his worst game as a receiver. I believe he had 23 receiving yards, which was a career low. Albeit, it was against a really good defense. Minnesota's defense has been lights out. They've crushed Cam Newton in, in the first within the first four weeks. So you got to give them credit. But Xavier Rose did a good job. And I think he did a good job at using the Josh Norman plan. Basically, he, he pushed and tugged at Odell Beckham all game, got physical with him, got in his ear. And I think it got to him. And Odell Beckham, he's 23 years old. He needs to grow up. But what I will say is, it goes back to people raising their kids. And I don't have any kids. I'm not going to tell parents how to raise their kids. But I will say this. I hear this a lot. When kids go outside and when they're young, five, six, seven, eight years old, their parents teach them at an early age, if someone hits you, you hit them back. Don't be a punk. And when I listened to Odell Beckham's post-game conference, he basically said, you know, these guys are diving at my knees, they're diving at my legs. I'm not just going to take hits out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react and respond. Now, there's a big problem with that. Yes, uh, as a kid, you, you're taught, you know, someone bothers you, you make sure you stand up for yourself, and you should do that on the football field because it is a man's game. But when you're Odell Beckham and you have all eyes on you, referees, players, coaches, everyone looking at you, you have to be mindful when you hit back because it will be called and as Eli Manning said in his press conference, he kind of brought this on himself. Now, there's also another lesson to take out of uh, this Odell Beckham situation. The talented and the spoiled, there's good and bad to that. When you're talented, you get all, I mean, you get the favorable calls in some cases. But if you have a history, a past history of doing certain things, if you're like Draymond Green kicking people in the nuts every playoff game, you're, you're, the spotlight is going to be on you. So that talent actually flips the other side into a negative instead of a positive. Yes, you do get coddled because teammates are saying, yes, we should we support Odell Beckham, and they should support him. But fans are even defending this guy, saying, well, it's not his fault. It was Xavier Rhodes' fault. He hit first, blah, blah, blah. And I get it. But if, if Marshall Newhouse does this, who's the right tackle for the Giants, if Bobby Hart, the backup right tackle, does this for the Giants, he's getting benched or he's getting cut. 
But because it's Odell Beckham Jr. and he's the most talented player on the roster, people are going to say, you know, we got his back. We need him. We need him to get his head in the game, but we're going to give him another chance. Now, reports have surfaced that the Giants are considering benching him or suspending him if his antics continue. But since he has been remorseful. But what I will say is this. Odell Beckham reminds me of the six-year-old kid in your elementary school class whose rich parents drive from the school every day with the slick back haircut and the new clothes every day to school. He gets whatever he wants, and when things don't go his way, he throws a temper tantrum. Now, Beckham has gone on to say, I'm not having fun anymore. And guess what, Odell Beckham? Sometimes your job is not going to be fun every day when you clock in at the office. Sometimes it's going to be a bad day. I'm a writer, and I love writing, but sometimes... It's a bad day. When I write a, a nice article and I, I get all this backlash and people call me an idiot, that doesn't feel great, you know? I'm sure uh, general managers across the NFL, they're losing games out there. They, their job's on the line. They love their job, but I guarantee you it's not a good day every day when you're losing. So what I find interesting, though, is this is all about Odell Beckham. He's made this all about himself. Oh, woe is me. Everyone's after me. This me, me, me. I didn't hear him say, well, I'm sad that we lost the game. Like, the Giants actually lost that game. But that that became a footnote. It became an afterthought because Odell Beckham thinks the boogeyman is after him. Now, again, he brought that on himself. But I didn't hear him say, I'm upset, I'm pissed that we lost. It's I'm upset, I'm pissed that everyone is paying attention to me and I can't hit back. If someone hits me, it's he's got to be less selfish. It's a team game. Football is a team game. He has to think about the spotlight he's in. Kids are looking at him, and I, he mentioned this. He said, I don't want a six-year-old seeing this, and he apologized and said, I need to be a better example, which is true, but he needs to also be a better teammate and think about the team, not just Odell Beckham Jr. Well, and it was nice to see that Eli Manning, you know, stepped up and, and basically called out Beckham with really, you know, without going too harsh on him. You know, he said he's got to play smart, uh, you know, flat out. He quote, he said, can't afford to do anything that the refs are going to call. He kind of brought this upon himself. So he's got to realize that it's no doubt we can't afford the penalties. And that's the thing. The Giants. They're an okay team. They're much better on offense than they are on defense, obviously. But when you give away free yardage, play after play, even if, and especially in that Minnesota game, he didn't start it, but he finished it and he got called. And again, the refs are looking at him because of the, the you know, what he did last year and what he did this year. I mean, when he got picked up by, by under the legs the other week by Josh Norman, there was no penalty on Josh Norman. There could have been. So the, the refs are looking for him. They're looking for retaliatory things. No, it's not fair, but it is what it is. So if you got a guy like, you know, Eli Manning, who doesn't speak out a whole lot, if he's actually going to chime in and he should as the team leader, you know, hopefully Beckham comes out and listens. You know, and it's also something when Tom Coughlin, your ex-head coach, comes out and says, you know, Beckham is a distraction. Now, I don't quite understand how Coughlin can come out and say that and then also say, well, he's a good kid. He's a team guy in the team room and I'm willing to help him because, uh, let's be honest, Beckham's probably not going to be very receptive to that. But, I mean, maybe Coughlin's heart's in the right place. Obviously, he's willing to help. But, again, this is on Beckham. Uh, he has to be a more, a more of a team player. He has to be willing to calm down. And, again, this is his first Time in the NFL where things aren't going his way. I mean, he came on the scene last year, two years ago, lit it up. Absolutely amazing. The one-handed catch, we've seen it all. Pro Bowls, this and that. Frosted colored tips. I mean, he's a great player. But 
it's not always going to be, you know, peaches and cream. This is the NFL. This is the best of the best. So hopefully he can rein it in. Otherwise, this guy might be out of football long before his days should be because of his attitude. Someone else on another radio show uh, in Memphis asked me, would you, would the Giants think about trading Odell Beckham? And I said yes, because you have to understand that wide receivers are, are replaceable. It's not like having a franchise quarterback or, or a star edge rusher or something or, or a linebacker that can set the tone in your, lock, in your locker room. These are wide receivers. Wide receivers fluctuate up and down every week. And I'm not saying Odell Beckham is an average wide receiver, but what I'm saying is the Giants could still get production out of a receiver without all the headaches on the sideline and off the field. Now, with Odell Beckham's situation, he, he says that, you know, everything's against him. But as, as you said, and as Manning said, he kind of brought this on himself. And he needs to understand that he is in the spotlight. But what I will say is this, too, is Coughlin and Amani Toomer and Shannon Sharp and all these guys have come out and spoke out and said Beckham needs to calm down. He needs someone within that locker room to sit him down and have a real conversation with him. And the Giants used to have that person in the locker room. They used to have Michael Strahan, guys like Antonio Pierce. I mean, even Justin Tuck. They had guys like that in the locker room who, who would rein in the young guys and say, look, this is how you become a professional. And I know you said we have Eli Manning, but does Eli Manning really look threatening to you? Like, if Eli Manning approached you, you know, privately and said something to you, are you really like, oh, I, I better listen to Eli Manning or something might happen? No, I, he just does not give off that aura. I would say Rashad Jennings is probably the, the, the biggest leader in that locker room. But again, is he really that intimidating force in the locker room that's going to say, you either get it right or I'm going to deal with you privately? Now, if a guy like Shannon Sharp approaches me, Ray Lewis, Antonio Pierce, any of those guys, you need a you need a big, burly defensive guy to, to sit back and down and say, look, kid, you're not going to cost me dollars. We're losing games, which cost me dollars, which cost me my job at the end of the day. You're not going to do this to me or this team. And I just don't think the Giants have that. And you said it, their defense is weak. It was weak last year. It's improved slightly, but it's a lot of young players that have come in. They don't have that veteran defensive guy to say, hey, you know, we need to rein it in. Yeah, they have they have Damon Snacks Harrison, but he just got there from the Jets. They have Dominic Rogers Camardi, but he's not really a leader figure. So without that, I think Odell Beckham Jr. has superseded the team when it comes to priorities. And and if it, and the head coach, even Ben McAdoo, is a first-year head coach. He's not an experienced veteran head coach who's going to go in and say, look, I demand respect. He is going to demand that respect. He just doesn't have that same effect as a Tom Coughlin who's been in the league for eons and been with the Giants for that long. It's just too many new faces in that locker room to, to corral it, Odell Beckham Jr., and he, he's going to have to do it himself because he I don't think he's going to listen to anyone in that locker room. No, he won't. It's unfortunate. The Giants are definitely lacking veteran leadership. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a fun, explosive team um, if they can put it all together, and a lot of that is going to fall on Ben McAdoo. Is he the right guy to to lead that team i don't know it remains to be seen uh but i think i think a lot of it's gonna fall on a guy like victor cruz who's been around a while now and has had a lot of success and he's playing pretty well this year and he's gonna have to rein a guy like beckham in and and you know show him like hey this isn't how we do things here as a giant and and to your point about potentially trading a guy like Beckham, while I wouldn't do it, I think the Giants were also smart in drafting a guy like Sterling Shepard, knowing that he's the perfect complement 
to Beckham and Cruz. And then if things do go awry and continue down a path that we saw last year uh, with Beckham, that this could be the guy that, that slides in and could potentially be a number one. But uh, it's too soon to even contemplate giving up on this guy. He's 23 years old. He's been in the league three years, and he's he's got all the skills. He's just lacking a little bit of common sense right about now so hopefully the Giants can surround him with better people or just get him more focused put that on Victor Cruz if you have to but whoever it's going to be you cannot give up on this kid just yet because again Manning's only as good as his wide receivers and a lot of it is because they don't have a very good run game right now so there's a lot of question marks in that Giants team and uh, unfortunately it could be a it could be a very long season if they don't get it figured out this week yeah, I'd say if you got to hire Justin Tuck to be a, a line coach or something like, like that, just to get him in the locker room, maybe take Michael Strahan off one of his TV shows and put him <laughs> in the locker room, you're going to have to do it because, again, this is your this is your most talented player, and you need his head on straight in order for Manning to have his best year again. He's had two good years since Beckham stepped on the scene. They need to get it in check. Absolutely. Well, we'll be right back with Open Mic. Open Mic. For birthday gift, uh, a good friend of mine once purchased an authentic baby blue Ladanian Tomlinson jersey, and I still have that jersey, and maybe I've worn it three times ever, because I loved watching him play. I mean, he's one of my favorite players, uh, you know, after John Elway, but he is up there. Unfortunately, LT is one of the NFL Network's least informed people when it comes to speaking out upon what is currently going on in the game now mo what what is lt doing trying to trying to ruffle some feathers in san diego and trying to get his boy his man philip rivers to greener pastures I, I, and i'm gonna start this by saying i like mike i like lt i i picked him a lot of my fancy drafts on yahoo he was great i loved watching him with the charges i wish the charges had been a lot better as far as postseason runs are concerned but he is not the guy you want to turn to for NFL advice or analysis. I'm sorry, LT, just being honest. But he, he basically said, why don't the Chargers just trade Phillip Rivers because he needs to go to a playoff contending team. And I paused for a minute and I'm going, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know NFL franchises were charities to help players, you know, fulfill their destiny with other teams. As, as a business and as an NFL franchise, you want to win games. And you don't do that by trading your franchise QB. No matter how bad you are, you know if you have a quarterback under centered, a, a, a top-tier quarterback, quarterback, that you have a chance to win games and possibly go to the playoffs. And it only takes a couple of pieces on defense and a couple of weapons on offense. And you could turn a bad season into a good season with a top-tier quarterback like Phillip Rivers. Now, again... I, Damian Thomason probably doesn't understand business. He probably just wants the best for Phillip Rivers. But then again, Phillip Rivers did sign a four-year, $83 million contract extension last year. If he really wanted out of San Diego, he wouldn't have signed on the dotted line. The last thing is, if San Diego doesn't blow three fourth-quarter leads this season, this is a totally different conversation we're having about a possibly an undefeated team. So, we, yes, we had this 2020 hindsight vision. But the Chargers aren't exactly slouches. It's just that they can't finish football games, and that, and that speaks to the defense. Phillip Rivers, as a statistical, as a from a statistical standpoint, is still doing well. Mel Malcolm Gordon has had a rebound year. I know they've had a lot of injuries, and again, injuries are something you can't really predict. 
But I mean, if it all goes bounces the right way, then we're not even having this conversation about Rivers going to a contender. Yeah, I mean, the injuries are huge. Jason Verrett out for the year. Uh, Danny Woodhead, Keenan Allen, Manti Teo, all starters, all out for the year. Joey Bosa hasn't played a snap. Antonio Gates hasn't played a snap. So when you take those six guys off the field, you've got to be glad you even have a win. I mean, and and very rightfully so, like you said, this team could be undefeated because Philip Rivers is still a top ten quarterback in this league uh the issue with rivers and and i don't know if his his friend lt knows but the man has eight kids and i'm not just throwing a number out there literally has eight children he's deeply religious and he made us think last year that he wasn't really willing to go to los angeles if the charges were to relocate because he didn't want to raise his family in la all right so be it that's his choice his prerogative didn't want to pick up roots where, he, where he's from obviously from north carolina he spent i think like 14 years in college at nc state and obviously he's been in san diego so his entire career 35 years old so uh i could very well see philip rivers packing it in if the chargers even said we have a trade offer for you but the biggest thing is he has a no trade clause so we likely will never see philip rivers ever don another uniform and again that's why he signed that huge contract and that's why the chargers are you know kind of stuck with them so you know you might as well make the best of a bad situation look should the chargers have not re-signed them this is a team that had a lot of decent pieces but it, it for whatever reason it's not working it's not it's not molding together do they need to blow it up and completely start over probably but like you said you still need one person like drew reason in new orleans to sell tickets you need a reason for people to come watch the team and again there's always hope it's the nfl it's 17 weeks 16 games you never know what's going to happen philip rivers threw for four over four thousand yards last last year to no one i mean everyone was hurt and it's looking like the same thing this year so with melvin gordon and you know potentially some guy somebody can step up out of the blue they obviously signed benjamin from cleveland there are still some pieces there but for lt to be already waving the white flag in week four it's just a little desperate yeah and like i said i I don't think he understands the nature of this business even though he's played in the league for as long as he has you just you don't unless you're getting a, a promising quarterback in return you do not trade away a quarterback who's led the league in, in touchdowns or pass, passing yards or completion percentages or completions in his career, you, you're not going to get the same value in return. And you're basically turning, you're telling your team basically that you give up on the season and you don't want to do that after just four games. But I will say this, I do see them going uh, one and four because the Oakland Raiders are rolling and they're going to travel to Oakland this weekend. But we'll, we'll talk about in our, that in our picks in week five at the wrap-up later in the show. But uh, our boy LaDainian Thomason also supported another stupid decision. He also said that the Jets should turn to Geno Smith. Ugh. Now, Todd Bowles said that he supports Ryan Fitzpatrick as a starting quarterback for the near future. He doesn't foresee a change. And I'm here to tell you that, LaDainian Thomason, you are 0 for 2, my friend, <laughs> on, on your analysis because Geno Smith is not mature enough to start in a football game. After Ryan Fitzpatrick's six-pick games, he threw six interceptions against the Kansas City Chiefs. He posted an Instagram photo basically saying, caption this, and he had a kind of a sad face. And, of course, he was trying to say, well, I, I'm Geno Smith, but they started this guy in front of me who's throwing six interceptions. So this guy is still not mentally there as a starting quarterback. I don't think he gains the respect of the locker room as a quarterback because when you're standing on the center, you have to have the respect of your offensive line and your players, and I don't think he has that yet. No, and and look, if if uh, Fitzpatrick didn't sign a twelve million dollar deal, and the Jets weren't crazy loyal to this guy, 
there would be a move because, I mean, the numbers are, are daunting. He's 31st in completion percentage, 32nd QB rating, 30th in turnovers, 32nd in yards and yards unpassed for, and oh, 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 he's first in interceptions. So he's got 10. I mean, it's the eight most through four games since the merger in 1970. He is having a horrible year. But again, Ryan Fitzpatrick had one career year last year with the Jets. And again, it made sense to bring him back. But we, but the main thing they brought him back was because they knew that they could not give this team to Geno Smith. Now, we saw Bryce Petty had a fantastic preseason. We still don't know if he's healed from that injury that he suffered, the shoulder injury. But if I'm giving the team to anyone, I'm giving it to him. Hackenberg is not ready. He may never be ready. We don't know exactly what, what he's going to have in store. But Geno Smith had his opportunity. And I know he wants another one. And I'm sure there's a couple people out there probably related to him that think he should get another chance. But... That ship has pretty much sailed. So he'll be with a new team next year. Uh, Fitzpatrick will also probably be with a new team next year or home or whatever he decides to do, maybe running an internet startup, selling butter out of Vermont. But the thing is, is that this team still has a lot of tools, even though they're one in three, even though Decker is probably not going to play this week with that torn rotator cuff. And Brandon Marshall is a little iffy with that MCL sprain and Forte only rushed for 27 yards last week. And, oh, by the way, the defense is pretty much not non-existent um there's still too much time left in this season so again we're not going to pump you know pump the uh, the panic button just yet but it is looking daunting it is looking bad but it could actually get even worse by bringing in geno smith now could he come in and light the world of fire anything's possible it's also possible this hurricane turns into uh, a skittle storm but it's not likely so we're just going to have to ride it out right now uh if the jets fall out of this completely you may see geno i again would go to petty but um, the coach, Coach Bowles, is staying with his man. And again, at least he has enough fortitude to, to speak his mind and say it is what it is. We're going with him. And it seems like his teammates, regardless of the tender interceptions, still have faith in their QB. Let's just pump the. I mean, let's be honest here. Do we think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to do well against the Jets' tough schedule? They had yeah. five previous playoff teams from last year in six weeks, four of those on the road. Yeah. And you're doing this mediocre journeyman QB. I didn't expect much from the Jets. I expected the Jets to go one and four, maybe one and five. They had the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. I expect them to lose that game on the road. And people will still panic about it and say it's time to go to Geno Smith. I, I don't think so. Because then after Pittsburgh, you have Arizona, who doesn't look so hot right now, even with Carson Palmer. You have Baltimore, who has a decent defense, but not a great offense. You have Miami. Mike already knows about Miami. And then you have Cleveland, who's winless. And I, 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 I can see the Jets going 4-1. After going four and one, and then you're a five and five team, and you're mediocre, just like Fitzpatrick, and then you could possibly squeeze out nine wins still. So, again, they haven't played the Patriots yet, so that's probably two more losses on the docket. So they would probably have to win every other game that's not against the Patriots. It's a tough task, but it could still be done. But what can I say? You have a mediocre quarterback. What would you expect? You know, you didn't sign Andrew Luck. You didn't sign Drew Brees here to a one-year, twelve million dollar contract. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick who hasn't been able to put together back-to-back good seasons in his 12-year career. So, what do you, I mean, what do you want out of him? I want I want Ryan Fitzpatrick to be traded for Philip Rivers. Is that asking too much? Can we make that That's work? That's asking for a lot. You may get you may get Tony Romo if Dak Prescott is good, but I don't think you get Philip Rivers from the Chargers. You know what? At this point today, I would take Tony and his broken vertebrae because um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It, I mean, this is this is who 
our quarterback for the New York Jets has always been his entire career. He's been in the league. He's either been really, really good like he was in the first half of last year or he's been really, really bad like he was at the last half of last year. So maybe he's starting out bad this year and he'll turn it around uh, towards the, the final half of the season when you mentioned all those, you know, easier games. But, uh, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, that's why they drafted Hackenberg. That's why Petty's still in the fold. That's why Geno Smith still wears a Jets uniform. I mean, if, if they really thought he was going to be the guy to lead them for the next five years, they wouldn't have done any of what they did. But, you know, here we are. So I just hope it gets better because, like we said before the season started, this team is going to have a relatively short shelf life. All, most of their stars are over 30. So if we don't make the playoffs this year and nothing happens good next year, we could be right back to, to being, you know, top five in the draft and looking for, uh, looking for better days ahead. I'm Mike McCann, and I'm picking up the phone, and I'm and I'm calling teams with veteran quarterbacks because, as you said, it's a veteran's a win now roster. So you can't you can't turn the team over to Christian Hackenberg and expect much next year, or even Bryce Petty who hasn't started an NFL game yet. So I think you need another bridge gap for a year after after this year, and then you turn the team over to either Petty or Hackenberg. But we started the show with Odell Beckham Jr. and his antics, and we have another wide receiver in the NFC East. And he's missed approximately 40 meetings, according to an anonymous source in the Dallas Cowboys organization. Des Bryant is apparently not showing up for work on time or at all in some in some cases. And I put this all on Jerry Jones. And we all know Jerry Jones is a guy who does not care about behavior, obviously, because this is the same guy who's, who called Greg Hardy a leader. He called Greg Hardy a leader at one year into not even – 10 games into his contract with the Giants, he was a leader with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, no. Then you have all the suspensions that happen. Uh, Randy Gregory is not going to be able to play till week 16. Uh, his second year is basically done. This is the same owner that wanted Johnny Manziel in 2014. To, they wanted to draft him. Cleveland Browns got to him, and you see how that ended. So when you look at Jerry Jones and his enabling environment in Dallas, you know that Des Bryant missing 40 minutes isn't something you should be surprised about because it's the same guy who enables all the bad behavior in that organization. And Des Bryant, as long as he's catching touchdown passes and catching first downs, he'll be able to miss 40 more meetings. And he, I know he probably denied the number of meetings he's missed, but he's admitted that he has missed them. And that's bad enough. And I say this, too, is that last week we talked about reports circling about Ezekiel Elliott being undisciplined and kind of not having his head in the game and being undisciplined. And I'm not surprised at that either. And, and I, again, this goes from the top down. The top has to set the tone. And, and Jerry Jones just basically says, as long as you're productive, we don't even care what you do. Yeah. And to me, that's dangerous. It's going to eventually blow up on the Dallas Cowboys. They're okay now because their quarterback, Dak Prescott, is performing well. But eventually, the wheel's going to fall off, and we're going to be pointing fingers at where it started. It starts at the top. Yeah, Jerry Jones has created an environment for malcontents to thrive, make a lot of money, and, you know, eventually shuffle off the buffalo. You know, not necessarily buffalo, but uh, it's just a it's just, it's a bad it's a poorly run organization. And, you know, and he will not take any of the blame, but he is the honcho. He is the figurehead. Him and his son are running this team how they see fit. And it, it's a, it's a, 
chaos. I mean, it's total anarchy. And, you know, I feel bad for Jason Garrett because he ha- looks like he has no idea what's going on. And I wouldn't even be surprised if, if uh, Jones is calling most of the plays. I mean, honestly, hasn't I mean, it just it's so it's so bad. No matter who they bring in, it just it just one thing after the other. It spirals out of control. I mean, this is a team that hasn't gone to the playoffs since 2010. I mean, you know, when uh, they got blown out by Minnesota. So, I mean, you're not getting any better. Yeah, Really, where are you going? You're just treading water. So, luckily, they're in a division where anything can happen. They can make the playoffs. Even if Tony, you know, comes back week 12, 13, maybe, maybe he doesn't even come back to the playoffs if they get that far. Because, like you said, Prescott's pretty good. Uh, Elliott, if he keeps his head on straight, can rush for another 120 yards like he did last week. Cole Beasley's playing well. Uh, who knows if this team even needs a guy like Des Bryant? Obviously, everybody technically needs a wide receiver of that ilk. But if you really want to straighten this this team out in this organization, you got to start to cut the fat, get rid of the cancer, and, and you know let it be known that we're not going to play that type of game anymore. We're not going to keep uh, the malcontents in town just so that we can win. Because you know what? You're not winning. You're not getting any better. It's been six years since you made the playoffs. So uh, you know maybe it's time to, to switch it up a little a bit in Dallas. Two, two things. Um, I wouldn't, and I and I wish Josh Gordon the best because he checked in rehab recently. He's not the Browns team, but I would not be surprised. Would not be surprised at all if the Browns officially release Josh Gordon and Jerry Jones comes calling for Josh Gordon and brings him into Dallas. Yeah. Again, this is the same guy who signed Adam Pacman Jones when he had his issues off the field. Can you imagine Des Bryant and Josh Gordon on the same field, though? If they could both keep their heads on straight, which they probably won't in that organization, that would be a, a dynamic duo that no one would be able to, to defend. But again, I don't think it would be the right place for Josh Gordon. I hope he ends up with a, with a franchise that's going to really pay attention to his behavior, unlike the Dallas Cowboys. The second thing is... Jason Garrett does not fit in that organization. And I think the players just basically walk over Jason Garrett. He's like the substitute teacher that has to stay on for the whole school year because the real teacher is out for the year with an, you know, with a sickness or something like that or, or gets another job. I don't think the players respect him. I think the players just go straight to – when they have a problem, they just go straight to Jerry Jones. Oh, there's Jason Garrett, the head coach, but eh, I'll go to Jerry because Jerry takes care of his players. If you're producing on the field, Jerry will take care of you. So that with Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith. Now, again, Troy Aikman, again, these guys didn't have, well, except Michael Irvin, these guys didn't have major issues off the field, but they were super productive. And and I would hate to see Dez and Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott come up in an organization where they're, they're not accountable for their behavior. It's great that they're productive on the field, but behavior off the field counts because if you can't play on Sunday, if you get suspended for whatever reason, availability trumps production and you have to be available for your team. And Mo, don't forget Johnny Manziel's suspension was lifted today, so maybe we could have a little reunited uh, situation in Big D. Well, you know, he could get his boy. He could finally maybe get rid of Romo after this year, send him to the Jets, uh, sign Johnny. He can compete with Dak Prescott. I mean, you want to talk about a team that could be on, uh, you know, one of those Bravo, terrible, unscripted reality shows. That would be amazing. Oh, yeah, they can get a spot next to the Kardashians keeping up with Kardashian <laughs> on TV because if if Johnny Manziel or Josh Gordon signs with the Dallas Cowboys, you might as well just bring in every player who's had issues and just bring them to Dallas. Yeah. Now, on one side, you can look at it as, oh, he's giving guys second chances. But I understand, you know, we talked about George Steinbrenner a while ago doing that with uh, Strawberry and Doc Gooden, but 
you also, when you give a second chance, you also have to give structure. You just can't give second chances and be an enabler. You have to yeah. give second chances and attempt to reform the behavior that got them in the situation in the first place. So, again, if any of these players sign with Dallas, it, it's going to be an ominous situation because Jerry Jones has basically just enabled everything. Yeah, and, and it goes back to my main issue, and it's, and it's the same thing with Odell Beckham, is that we're really harping on it and we're all over these guys because they're not winners. They're not winning at this time. So it's almost like you mentioned the Yankees when they signed good in, in 96, they won the championship. You know, when they had these guys in 98 and 99 and 2000, they were winners. So you can almost give a little bit of leeway to people that are bringing titles and fans will be, you know, relatively uh, okay with the fact that, well, they're a knucklehead, but my, I root for my team and, and it's acceptable whether, whether it is or not, or it's politically correct. There's a lot of truth to the fact that if you're a winner, you're going to get away with a lot more than if you're a loser. Absolutely. Speaking of losers, uh, the 49ers lost Navarro Bowman, their their best linebacker, they're probably their best defensive player, to an Achilles injury, and they also had the, the worst rush defense in the league. Now, they do play the Arizona Cardinals, who are struggling tonight. So this game is probably going to be the most unappealing Thursday night game. You got Blaine Gabbard on one side. You got you got Drew Stanton on the other side. By the way, Drew Stanton has thrown 12 TDs, 18 interceptions, with a 54 pass completion percentage in 30 games and 12 starts. Now, with that quarterback on the center, I give the 49ers a chance to win this game against the struggling Cardinals. It doesn't look good for the Cardinals or the Panthers, for that matter. But uh, I, I like the 49ers tonight. Chip Kelly has apparently uh, turned his coaching career around now hear me out i know you're saying the 49ers stink but there's a lot of praise for chip kelly because he was looked at as a dictator when he coached the philadelphia eagles and now they're saying that the players are really behind chip kelly in san francisco they just don't have enough talent to win games now i think a win tonight would would help chip kelly his image because actually they haven't won since that opening night shutting down the rams i think tonight they get another win against the division opponent which looks good for chip kelly I'm not interested in Blaine Gabbard and Drew Stan's duel, you know, as as quarterbacks, but taking the San Francisco 49ers even without Navarro Bowman tonight. Such a horrible game. Thursday night football, will you please go away? I mean, no Carson Palmer. Uh, San Francisco really doesn't have much of anything. I mean, Carlos, it'll be it'll be a running back battle. You know, David Johnson and Carlos Hyde. Hopefully they each touch the ball about 45 times. The clock keeps going. We don't step out of bounds. And this game gets over really, really quickly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you got to be concerned about Arizona. I mean, their defense is not what it was last year. I mean, this was a top five defense going going into the year uh patrick peterson's gonna get his but it's still just not enough uh i mean the larry fitzgerald and michael floyd and john brown you know nobody's really standing out from that group uh, this could be the the very end of carson palmer as we know you know it's getting up there at an age and while he might still have a good arm those the back and lower leg injuries are, are starting to catch up to him so again another team kind of definitely headed in the wrong direction and, and running out of time uh it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens but I think that they will really, really need to play as well as they possibly can to come out on top. I'm going to I'm gonna put my money behind them just because I can't see them losing uh, a must-win game right now this early in the season. Anything is possible, as they have clearly showed, losing to Buffalo. Um, but again, uh, it's going to be terrible. So, um, you know, if I don't have power for that game, I'll be okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually it's, – it's hard to say. I'm actually rooting for Chip Kelly because I, oh. I like redemption stories and – you know, I think I think 
when he was at Philly, I think he was in over his head. It was his first NFL head coaching job, and he was in charge of personnel, and he was the coach. I think it was just too much for him, and people banged on Chip Kelly and saying, oh, he's just a college coach. He's not really good at the NFL. They compared him to Nick Saban, who ran away from Miami, went back to college in Alabama. And I think Chip Kelly can work in the NFL. I, I really like his uh, his offensive mind. But again, I don't think he has enough weapons there. But you got your money on the Cardinals because it's a must-win for them. I, I say it's Drew Stanton. I just can't. I can't put my put my money on Drew Stanton. I just I, I I've watched him play. I've watched the Cardinals struggle with Drew Stanton in under center in a playoff game, and he just doesn't have it. The 49ers don't have the best roster, but they have some decent cornerbacks who can get the job done. And Chip Kelly, I, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm not saying the 49ers are are going to be you know a playoff team or even nine and seven. But watch out. The 49ers could be 7-9, and 8-8, eight and, eight, and I think they get a win tonight. But that's it for Open Mic. We're going to come back with some heartbreaking analysis about the Mets and the Giants game last night. It's now time for Building Momentum. Well, it's my one of my favorite times of year. I won't say my favorite time of year because it's kind of tied with uh, March Madness, but it would be my favorite time of year had the Yankees been in the playoffs, but I digress. Uh, the man who's not so happy that what we're about to talk about is Mr. Momentum himself, Mr. Maurice Moten, Mr. Williamsburg. Um, you know, it was a it was a hell of a game, Mo. I mean, flat out, Noah Syndergaard pitched his heart out for seven innings, uh, but like I said on Twitter, and like I told you, you cannot bet against the San Francisco Giants in an even year and Madison Bumgarner. I mean, this is the second time in his career he's pitched a complete game shutout in a one-game play-in wildcard game. I mean, the guy, the guy is phenomenal. I, I mean, he threw 120 pitches last night. I mean, who cares about pitch counts in the playoffs? I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And, and it, it was. It was a quick game. It was a defensive game. Curtis Granderson made a phenomenal catch up against the wall to save the game. I mean, they even brought in Addison Reed in the eighth inning and he got uh, Hunter Pence to strike out with the bases loaded so there was so much tension and, and we should that is what October baseball is all about I loved every minute of it but I was just waiting for the Mets to screw up and it, it and it's not even that they screwed up so much it's that you just you cannot bet against the Giants because really Cole Gillespie guy that's been in the majors forever that hit six home runs this year hits without a doubt the biggest home run of his career I mean this is what the Giants do they left they left Eduardo Nunez who they acquired he's an all-star acquired from the Minnesota Twins off the playoff roster this round because of a because of an injured hamstring and lo and behold here comes Gillespie who made a phenomenal over the rail catch the last week before the season ended uh comes and hits this home run off of Jerry's Familia, who, again, I'll say it till the day I die, you should not bring in your closers in a tie game. I don't care that they're the home team. I know he had 56 saves this year, but he blew five. And the biggest thing about Familia is if you've watched him, he does not have that mentality that he can come in in a tie game. He's got a 2-5-5 ERA, okay? It's just he's better when he's got a lead because, again, it gives him more room, more leeway to screw up. But even if that, he just knows that the pressure is not on him when he has to come in and he has to lock it down. 
I gave up that double to start Dinny to Brendan Crawford, and right then and there, I knew he was in for trouble. And, and again, that goes back to managing. Not a Terry, not a Terry Collins fan. I mean, I'm sure he's going to keep his job just because they got to the playoffs and they overcame. Like, don't get me wrong, they overcame a ton of injuries, so he did a good job. But I just don't think moving forward that this is the guy to be leading your New York Mets, Mo. Yeah, I was I was disappointed. I was actually hyped. I said, you know, Noah Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner is going to be a duel. I expected a you know a low scoring pitching pitching duel out there, and it came down to Gillespie hitting a home run in the ninth inning. And I and you mentioned it. Familia has given up five saves, and people have said he's put too many men on base in his situation, and it came back to bite him in this playoffs in this playoff spot. But back to Madison Bumgarner. Kudos to him. A lot of people said that the Mets should have uh, worked the pitch count. I know you said throughout the pitch count, but a lot of people said the Mets batters should have, shouldn't have swung at a lot of early pitches and kind of worked the pitch count and forced him to throw more pitches. That way, you can get to the Giants' bullpen. As you saw at the end of the game, Bruce Bochy didn't even have a guy warming up, and you knew he was going to go with Bumgarner throughout throughout the whole game, no matter how long it took, unless it went to an absurd amount of innings. We're talking extra innings, but... Uh, kudos to Bumgarner. He has he has a .50 ERA in post road season games. So I mean, yeah. it's and that you can't get much better than that. It's it's higher than Bob Gibson at .97, better than Mariano Rivera at one one point oh two, better than Sandy Koufax and Lefty Grove. So the guy is one of the best in the game at his young age. And between Bruce Bochy and Madison Bumgarner, you can't go wrong with that that pitching manager combination. The Mets just ran into a better team. That's just, just all there is to it. I know you mentioned that Terry Collins keeps his job. That's one of the questions I was going to ask you. Do you think he, he keeps his job at this point? Because at, at one point in this show, you said that he was on the hot seat, and that seems yes. pretty warm. Now, again, a lot of people say, well, the Mets made the postseason, and it seems like the players like the manager, Terry Collins, so he, he probably stays on, as you said, just because they made the playoffs. But... Again, sorry to my fans who, who went out there in Flushing and Flushing to City Field to see this game. A lot of them left disappointed, but said, hey, they, as you said, they overcame a lot of injuries. No DeGrom, no Harvey, no Wheeler, a lot of people out. So you give credit because they overcame a lot, but you're still sad that it had to end this way in a one-off playoff game wild card. A lot of people saying they don't like the wild card format because you play 162 games. And then you get to this point, and it's just one game, and you can go home. And so I say this: Hey, if you don't want to be in that one game wild card, win your division. Yep. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have that problem. So play. I mean, teams, players know the rules. So you get into that game. If you don't win your division, you know it's win or go home. So I, I feel bad for the Mets, but this is just how it's got to end. Got yeah. to end for, for this year. And you know, and and next year might not be a whole lot better. I hate to break the news to you, but you know, reports are that. Uh, Cespedes left team that left the team today and and didn't speak to anyone and again he has a 13 million dollar option next year um and and reports are that obviously we know Curtis Granderson's got one year left on his deal about 14 million and uh and they required Jay Bruce and he's got about a 13 million dollar uh one year remaining on his deal so there there may not be enough money for Cespedes in the budget especially when you know that you've got Michael Conforto coming back you have to play this kid I mean you know 24 years old uh you got to get him in the lineup especially when you consider that the Mets are going to have massive holes uh do they re-sign neil walker you know uh, does uh, dribble cabrera come back for a second year are you going to bring back jose reyes what's going to go on with david wright is lucas duda ever going to be right to play at first base travis darno can't stay healthy still i mean there's just 
so many question marks. I mean, what happens if the Mets had won that game last night? Bartolo Colon was going to pitch game one of the ALDS. Who was going to pitch two? Or three or four. I mean, you literally have two pitchers, and Bartolo Colon at forty-one is going to be your number two. Uh, there's there's too much too much there that is really still needs to be determined, and that's the main reason why I think Terry Collins will come back. But again, if the Mets struggle out of the gate next year, uh, he you know, he'll be the scapegoat. He'll be the guy that has you know has to pay the piper. And again, this team needs to figure out their identity. They they went to the World Series. Getting to a one-game playoff is not good enough a year after getting to the World Series. So, you know, while they made it, and there's a lot of reasons as to why, you know, they, they're lucky that they did, it's still not enough. And so Mets fans deserved more. Those guys deserved more. And moving forward, this team really needs to decide, you know, who they're keeping and uh, who's going to be the manager to lead them. But, you know, until then, we get we got to see another fantastic walk-off game in Toronto. Um you know, Edwin Carnacion, uh, three-run walk-off home run at the bottom of the 11th inning, you know, gave the Blue Jays a 5-2 win in the AO wildcard game. I mean, this guy, again, looking for that paycheck. Free agent, baby. A lot of, a lot of guys are going to want to put him as a DH. Can he play first, at, you know, at 37? Eh, we'll see. But he hit a ball at a whole, over 100 miles an hour, and it tra- traveled an estimated 440 feet. That's only the second walk-off home run ever in Toronto Blue Jays history. And if you remember, I think it was 1992 when Joe Carter hit that walk-off homer against the Phillies in the World Series. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, two things, though, that stood out for me. Uh, you know, we just talked about Familia and the Mets and how uh, I feel that he isn't the type of guy to to come in in a say in a, in a non-save situation with the game saved. I think it's the exact opposite with Zach Britton. Uh, obviously, not just because he's a lefty and not because he got a little bit of a sidearm delivery, but this guy was 47 for 47 in save opportunities with a .54 ERA. Without a doubt, he should be in the top five for AL Cy Young winners. And I know that usually we don't see that with relief pitchers, but this guy was phenomenal, uh, outstanding. Danny, he he used to be a middle relief guy, so he can go a little bit longer. But you know, it's tough when you're you're Buck Showalter and you go with Ubaldo Jimenez because he has been so good over the past two two months. But and you leave your best pitcher on the bench to watch the game and Zach Britton, and you're going to be second guessed. And you know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Buck stuck by his guns, and it and it backfired. You know, Toronto lives and dies by the long ball. You know, they don't have great pitching. Defense is pretty good, but they don't have great starting pitching. Uh, so you know, we were again Jose Batista hit a home run early in the game, so we were waiting for something else to happen and he did but it took to the 11th inning unfortunately the thing that we're most people are going to remember is that hun Soo kim the south uh, korean outfielder had a beer thrown at him by some moron in left field uh hopefully they find you they throw you in a toronto prison and they throw away the key because this is the second time in two years that the fans in toronto have done stupid things like this they did it last year uh against uh, against the texas rangers in the second round of the playoffs when they littered the field full of crap because they di- they disagreed with the call at second base like like, you cannot do this. I, I don't care what country we were in playing any kind of sport. You know, there's a time and a place. And if you endanger a player and, and, and do something illegal, you should pay, you know, the reprimand, the fine, the jail time, whatever it is, because I don't care if you're drunk or not. That's just an asinine move. And uh, it, it doesn't belong in sports. You're absolutely right about that. I believe uh, Adam Jones made a comment. He said, well, he, he's, in the, he's in the outfield. A lot of things are said, said about him, but... These are just words. You, you don't throw a beer at someone, and this this is why leagues are, are trying to figure out ways to get fans close to the action, but not too close to the action where things 
like this happen. Now, Toronto is usually, you know, Canada period is usually known that they're nice people and maple syrup and all of that stuff out there. Once you get beer and alcohol in a situation, fans become fans. And, and we've, we've heard a lot of, last week, I've heard a lot of fan incidents. There was a fight between the Raiders and the Ravens last week also where, where two Raiders fans from Mount Vernon, New York, actually put a guy in the hospital, unfortunately, he hit his head on the concrete. I believe he had a 30% chance of living. So, again, when, it, when you go to games, fans, don't be morons. As Mike said, don't don't be a moron. Just go to enjoy the game. If you have a beer or two, fine. You know, if you want alcohol, but please, like, leave the athletes alone. These are the same athletes that, that go into the stands to sign autographs and, and, you know, take pictures with your kids and stuff like that. You don't want a situation where athletes are afraid to, to interact with fans because that's what makes the experience special. I mean, I get that this is entertainment, and I get that, we look, we're all passionate about it. But at the end of the day, it's unscripted, and you never know what's going to happen. But do I go to a movie, and I throw something at the screen because I don't like what Leonardo DiCaprio's character did in The Revenant? No, I don't do st- stupid stuff like that because you have to separate yourself, okay? You're a fan. We're, you're paying someone to entertain you. So you have no outcome out of what's going to happen. So when you do do something that could potentially sway the, 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 the way the game ends, it's not right. It's not fair to anyone involved, especially a person sitting next to you that paid just as much as the, for the ticket as you did. So, you know, fans, while it's great to be passionate and loyalties are tested and we all have the teams that we root for, at the end of the day, it's really, it's a sport. You're there to watch, entertain, and and you know what? Don't do anything else, you know, like Adam Jones said, scream, yell, curse, call me a name, call me this, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he's getting paid and you spent your money to watch him. But when you put yourself uh, above the game or in the line of fire, that's when things need to be done. And, you know, uh, that's like in soccer when when they throw flares on the field, they will literally give the, the team that does it, the home team, they will give you the loss or they'll replay the game at with an empty stadium. So the team won't make any money and you won't get to watch it. I mean, if that's what it's going to come down to, to worry about the safety of the players then it's the fans fault and you know it is what it is so hopefully it doesn't come to that obviously we hope that we're a little more civilized in uh, in north america but sometimes you know stupidity prevails overall and before we go into our mlb picks i will say this they need whoever this guy was and i know they're they're on the hunt for him they need to find him and if people people were quick to ridicule steve bartman his incident and i understand why because he 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 affected, uh, you know, the outcome of a game. Moises Alou would probably agree, agree with that. But this is a guy who made an honest mistake. He it wasn't malicious in any way. This guy, obviously, out for you know, out for no good. This is the type of fan that we need to excoriate and just basically point out as as a as a complete jerk, not Steve Bartman. Yeah, no, that's that's very true, you know. And uh, again, we Bart, we'll be talking about Bartman, you know, up until the Cubs win a World Series, and it's not necessarily for the right reason. But again, the guy was just there, put his glove up, and it was just the wrong place at the wrong time. Not what this gentleman, or I would shouldn't say gentleman, fool did uh, the other night in Toronto. But now that we have the playoff seedings, the the picture is set, Mo. Let's talk predictions. We got the Cubs and the Giants. The Cubs. 103 wins. They've got home field advantage through the playoffs if, if they should continue to go on. I mean, can anyone in their right mind bet against the Cubs? I think you can. Like I said, I just mentioned Madison Bumgarner and Bruce Bochy. Bruce Bochy, probably one of the best managers in the game. I, I, I wouldn't stack it for the Cubs completely. I do like the Cubs lineup, and, you know, their, their, their manager should be up for manager of the year, but. I'm a little edgy. I, I'm leaning toward the Giants, and maybe that's because I just watched them uh, beat my Mets 
And again, I know the Cubs have have something special brewing, but I, I I'm kind of leaning toward the Giants on this one. Yeah, it's hard to go against the Giants, like we've already said. The only thing I worry about them consistently is their hitting. Uh, not that the Cubs have great pitching by any matter; their bullpen is really really good. Uh, but I just think the Cubs' hitting is is too much. And I know uh, we talked about Bumgarner. Now, as far as Cueto, Samarja, and more, if they do four, if there are four different pitchers in this uh, in this first round, uh, can be hit. And they also, you know, tend to put a lot of men on base. So, uh, uh, you know, my brain is telling me to go with the Cubs. Even though, uh, you know, I do enjoy watching the Giants play. I think Posey and Pence are two great ambassadors of the game. Over on the other side, we've got the L.A. Dodgers and the Washington Nationals. To me, this is one of the most fun first-round playoff series in a long, long time. Uh, The Nationals dealing with a ton of injuries. We spoke about uh, Daniel Murphy should be back with that gluteus maximus injury Strasburg's gonna miss the first round at least Wilson Ramos is out uh I just think the Dodgers with Kershaw pitching game one and uh, having the majority of their team even Andre Ethier back who missed uh, most of the year I I have to see the Dodgers prevailing but what do you think yeah I, I have I actually have the Dodgers prevailing only because I don't want to see another NL East team win unless it's my Mets <laughs> but you did mention injuries we talked about Steven Strasburg last week I see Baker's in there, and he's another uh, manager of the year candidate. But I, I got to give it to the Dodgers. The thing is, it'll be so, it's going to be funny because if the Dodgers do advance, people are going to say, see, Don Manley, he was the problem. You know, yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, and Donnie did a great job with uh, the Miami Marlins. Uh, you know, a team that you know barely missed, you know, missed the playoffs, a couple games out of the wild card, and unfortunately, everything that that team in the city of Miami had to deal with with the passing of Jose Fernandez, uh, was just you know a lot to deal with in a very a very tough year. But keeping on with the American League, we've got the uh, dreaded Red Sox versus the Cleveland Indians, and. As much as I want to say the Cleveland Indians because I want to see Terry Francona beat the pants off of his old team and obviously the Indians acquired uh, you know a guy close near dear to my heart Andrew Miller the old Yankee it's going to be really, really hard to go against Boston. Uh, Rick Porcello, 20-game winner. They still have David Price. Uh, they can hit one through nine. This is David Ortiz's final year. Mookie Betts will probably win the American League MVP. Uh, it's just hard to bet against him. So I hope it goes the full uh, the full five. Uh, I hope that the uh, Indians prevail, and I hope they, they can do everything they can to tire out the Red Sox, but I just I don't see them beating. I don't see anybody in the American League beating the Red Sox. We talked about the Cleveland Indians uh, rotation being shortened due to injuries, so I, I think that's going to play a factor into this into this series. But deep down, Mike, just say it, you want to see David Ortiz go out on top, even though you're a Yankee guy. You deep down, you want to see Big Poppy go out on top and win the series and possibly go to the World Series, don't you? I'd be okay if David Ortiz became an Uber driver after this season <laughs> and could never find his way back to the ballpark. He's caused me enough grief throughout the years. Uh, while I believe he will be the first ever designated hitter to be enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame, he's just that. He's a designated hitter. Uh, I, I just have a problem with a guy who plays, you know, more than 12 seasons and, and barely can step on the field because it's, you know, it's a lot easier to get up three or four times a game when you're not playing nine innings in the field. So while, don't get me wrong, he's a great hitter. Uh, he deserves every home run that he's hit. Uh, it's just a lot different when you have to go out there uh, for nine innings, three-hour game in the heat, uh, play defense, and then get up to hit. So, uh, David, you'll be a Hall of Famer. You know, kudos on a great career. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to see him anymore. 
ever again. But sticking with the last game in the American League wild card, we got the Texas Rangers and those aforementioned Rotten Blue Jays. Uh, I'm going with the Rangers. I don't really care for either team, but at least the Rangers have Carlos Beltran, the ex-Yankee, the ex-Met, who uh, after, what is it, 18, 19 seasons, has yet to win a World Series ring. So perhaps, perhaps he can get a little bit closer this year. I do have them beating the Blue Jays. Again, we talked about this a while ago. Neither team have much pitching. They both hit pretty well, but I would definitely give the odds uh, favorite to uh, to Texas because I think they've got just a little bit better intangibles. I think their defense is a little bit better, their bullpen all around. And again, they're going to be at home. So uh, let's go Rangers. But again, flip of the coin, anything's possible with those two teams. What I want to see is I want to see Oder and uh, Batista go at it for a round two. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I think Batista gets his revenge. Maybe he, you know, throws another uh, hook, shoot, hook punch or a throw uppercut or something, oh, you know, it's... kind of vibe and weave a little bit, you yeah, know, get, get your revenge back. But God, I got Batista and if they get into another fight, but I got the Rangers winning the series. The wrap-up. So we're going to give you our week five wrap-up picks. Just to recap, Mo was nine and six last week and Mike was seven and eight. Mm. So that means after Mike got Mo by one game in week three, Mo has Mike by two last week. So just keep a score for those, keeping a score at home. Also a quick note, if you have, if you don't realize we have the Mike and Mo fantasy league, Mike is going to square up against Laura Mm -hmm. this week. Uh, I I hope to uh, get back to my winning ways, of course. But I did some research, and I found out in another league that Mike is currently winless in another league that I'm playing him in. And I find that interesting. That's a lie. Nope. Nope. And because uh, Mr. Mike, who claims to be Mr. Football, is winless, and we can't have winless people no. making picks on our show. First of all, win- never claimed to be Mr. Football. If anything, I'm Mr. Baseball. Secondly, <laughs> that other league uh, was not correctly <laughs> drafted because there's only eight people in it, so that's no longer happening. And then third, I took... And I took Adrian Peterson with my first overall pick, so now I have um, shorter running back. And lastly, which I wanted to curse your name last week, I asked you on this show, do I start Kirk Cousins or Ben Roethlisberger? And you said, oh, 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 start the fraud. Even though he's a fraud, start the fraud. So I started him, and he got me 18 points. What did Ben Roethlisberger do? Through five touchdowns. Had I had Ben in, I'm three and one. So thank you for sabotaging my chances at being three and one. You're a cheat, you're a liar, and you had the first <laughs> overall pick, and that is why this is totally rigged. Well, you know, I, I, I felt like you you wanted you needed some confidence in that Kirk uh, Cousins draft yeah. pick, so I tried to give you some confidence. Right. I mean, and it's not like Kirk Cousins had a bad game, it's he, just that the Kansas City Chiefs just decided not to play. Yeah, before. he didn't have a Ben Roethlisberger 37-point game that I would have won easily. But, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, Mo. So, yeah, if anybody wants advice on how to lose, just ask Mo. Yeah, you know, because I am 3-1 in that league, that same league that Mike is winless in, by the way, just uh, to FYI. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. We're going to get to the Week 5 picks, and we're going to start off with tonight's game, Arizona at San Francisco, as I said early in the show. I'm going with San Francisco. I believe in Chip Kelly. I'm going with Arizona because I hate both of these teams, and somebody has to win, and I still don't believe in Chip Kelly. But, yeah, like like I said, Arizona's <laughs> got to start winning, and why not now? 
Did Drew Stanton play baseball? No, but he, he? Uh, no, that's the other. That was another Drew. I think it was Drew Henson who played baseball at Michigan. <laughs> yeah, no, this this is the guy that he's been around forever. Remember, he went to Michigan State many, 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 many years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Checking. Okay. Checking if he had Yankees ties in there, which is nah, why he went No, nah, that was Drew Hen- That was Drew Henson who played with the Cowboys. Another Drew. Um, huh? Washington Redskins, the fraudulent Kirk Cousins, my man, and the Baltimore Ravens. I got Baltimore. Yeah, I, I got Baltimore in this one. I got another question. Are you going to start Kirk Cousins this week in any one of your uh, leagues? Oh, you funny man. Funny man. No, I'm going back to Big Ben because uh, even though he's playing the Jets, he'll he'll be really, really good. And like you said, Baltimore's got a good defense, and I'm tired of you sabotaging my season. <laughs> but, yes, uh, speaking of sabotage, Tom Brady's going to be back on the field, and yep. New England goes on the road to play Cleveland. Is there any chance? Is there a snowball's chance in hell? that Cleveland could pull out the upset of the century. Uh, negative 0.0. That is because Tom Brady's back. I got him on that team that I'm going for. I've been waiting for this week to dominate. I just want to win one. I just want one. It's all I want is this one to get off the schneid. Uh, Philadelphia and Detroit. I'm riding the Carson Wentz train all the way to North Dakota. Yeah, definitely going with Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. I didn't think they'd be that great. I actually picked up Philadelphia's defense this week, so that should tell you something. I, again, I like Detroit, but if Philly is rolling right now, can't go against that. Chicago with the three players they have left and the Indianapolis Colts, who are still, I believe, in the United Kingdom, if I'm not correct, after losing last week to the Jaguars. I'm gonna have to take the Colts but not really feeling good about it but I'm going with them because they're at home yeah same here I went against the Colts last week in London because I knew Jacksonville would break through against this poor defense Chicago doesn't have the offense to threaten the Colts poor defense the Colts still have Andrew Luck they're at home they need this win because if they don't they just need pretty much need to fire everyone in the front office and pretty much release everyone on their defense so the Colts win out of desperation. Quick question. Why are the Colts playing and the Jaguars are have the bye week when they were both in England last week? That, I, you're going to have to take that up with Roger Condell and his cronies right? about that one. I believe they should both have a, yeah. have a bye week. Obviously, the NFL didn't think that way. And this goes back to my point about the NFL and the hypocrisy about, about player safety and, and putting out a good product. It, it's just... You know, if you're going to put these teams outside of, you know, outside of America and put them in London or, you know, Mexico City, give them a bye week the following week so they can get themselves together. But apparently common sense doesn't ring bells in the NFL office sometimes. Yeah, they're talking about a game in China in two years. I mean, you'd have to give up team like off like three and a half weeks just to get reacclimated. <laughs> like, give me a break. Like, keep, just stop. Just please stop it. This is why I'm I'm against, and the NFL has played with this idea, I know we're going off on a tangent, but the NFL has played with this idea of putting a team in London. And I'm like, how is that going to work for teams? You, you do understand, you put a team in London, that's eight road games for another team to have yeah. to come to London, right? You understand it. You're going to have to basically give a bye week to each team that travels from London to back to America. I, I don't get it. The NFL, again, they feel like we can just do whatever we want and it'll work out. But I'm saying this is that it just doesn't work out with that that type of travel time. It just doesn't fit. No, don't do it. Absolutely not. The game of the week, and I, I mean that jokingly, absolutely. The Tennessee Titans and the Miami Dolphins. The, the, the hurricane that is Ryan Tannehill. Um... 
is probably going to win. I, I mean, I just, I, they're in Miami. Uh, th- there is a possibility this game could get uh, moved from Miami, they said, depending on how bad the hurricane hits. Uh, man, I just, Tennessee, I mean, DeMarco Murray's having a pretty good year, but they are just terrible all over the place. And, and Miami's not much better, but like I always say, somebody's got to win this game, and you might as well take the home team, right? Mike hates Miami, so for him yeah. to pick Miami over Tennessee, it's got to be really bad on the other side of the football. So and much. Even though I don't think it's that bad for Tennessee, I just don't think Tennessee has the personnel to, to beat Miami. Miami's weakness is the back end of their defense, and Mariona's having a... If you haven't been paying attention to Tennessee Titans games, Mariona's struggling this year. Yeah. And I put that on Mike Malarkey said, I, I said this, I didn't like the head coaching hire, and I don't think he's the guy to develop Mariota. And you're seeing regression out there, and as you said, DeMarco Murray's having a great season, but it's just not enough. Miami wins this game. Ryan Tannehill. If you got Ryan Tannehill on your team and you didn't drop him last week, start him. Yeah, yeah. Listen to Mo because you'll probably lose if you sit Ben Roethlisberger for him. So do that. Hey, uh, Mike Malarkey, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Definitely. I'm telling you, Josh, Josh, what's his name? McRoberts, the, the guy, the, the, the offensive coordinator. In New England, I know I keep placing him with new teams, but I think he be he would do wonders for Mariota. Yeah, apparently he would do wonders for a lot of young quarterbacks. Yeah. He's going to be a hot ticket in the offseason. Whoever gets him is going to get a pretty decent head coaching hire. People talk about Adam Gase. I talk about Adam Gase a lot. I think Josh McDaniels is going to yeah. be another hot ticket. I want him in Jacksonville, preferably. Yeah, yeah. Lines up with Tennessee. Either Bortles or Mariota, either one of those guys will benefit. Absolutely. The Houston Texans and my new favorite team, the Minnesota Vikings. What? What? Did I say that out loud? Uh, I'm going to take Sam Bradford because in Sam I trust, even though he wears his jersey like it's 1963. <laughs> We're going to revoke your New York Giants fan card. You just said the Minnesota Vikings are your new favorite team. I was, After they chance the Giants on Monday Night Football. I was front kidding. Of I was just joking. And I'm a little, by the way, I'm disappointed in Stefan Diggs. I got him in that 0-4 team. And besides that one week where he, you know, <laughs> caught like 200 balls, he's been pretty non-existent. Yeah, Mike, I think you might want to scrap that team that you got yeah. your 4 on. I don't know what's going on with that fantasy team, but I will say that uh, without J.J. Watt, I think uh, Minnesota has a better defense. I was very high on Houston's defense coming into the, into the season, but after watching Minnesota's defense crush Cam Newton and shut down the Giants' conservative uh, offense, got to roll with Minnesota at home. Our beloved New York Jets versus the terrible towels and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I mean, we're both going to get crap for this, but I think we both have the Steelers because Le'Veon Bell is a beast. Yeah, the question, the real question is how many interceptions is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to throw this week? You know what? Seriously. I would not let him throw the ball. I would let Forte run it 12, 15 times, Bilal Powell 14, Kerry Robinson. I would let I'd let you run the ball. I'd do a couple of reverses <laughs> of Brandon Marshall. I'd let Geno Smith do like uh, you know, quarterback statue plays, statue of liberty. I'm I'm not throwing the ball. I mean, I not that not that the Steelers have a good secondary. They don't. Uh, but I just can you really? I mean, you, you gotta you gotta trust you gotta trust Fitzpatrick, but it's not it's not gonna be easy. I, and again, once he throws one, he's usually good for at least two or three. I just hope that Todd Bowles doesn't give into the pressure and throws Geno Smith out there because I don't think it would be much better for that team. But we'll move on. Atlanta traveling to Denver. I already know Mike's going with Denver because he's probably picking Denver to to win 16 games and go undefeated because mm-hmm. he loves himself some John Elway. Yep. 
I'm going to have to agree with him this week, and I say Denver wins because I just I still don't trust Atlanta. Atlanta has a great passing offense, but they beat up on a Carolina defense, that pass defense that's without Josh Norman. I know Julio Jones put up 300 yards last week, but he's not going to put up even 100 against that Denver pass defense. Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris Jr. are on top of their game. It was reported that Aqib Tlaib uh, practically burst himself, so I guess that's out of the way. And I'm a little upset because I don't get to say hi. Uh, but besides from that, yeah, Denver, baby, that defense is too good. And and Paxton Lynch looked really, really good coming in for Trevor Simeon. My boy Trevor may not get his job back uh, when and if he is deemed healthy enough to return in the next couple of weeks. But moving on, uh, the game that gave me a little bit of trouble in deciding the Cincinnati Bungles and the Dallas Cowboys. Ugh, I mean, I don't, again, I don't trust either of them, but I do like the way Prescott looks. Every time I think like every time I think the Red Rocket has a little bit going for him, he just turns out to be a dud. So I'm going with Dallas. Listen, okay. First of all, I wanna I wanna send a box of Kleenex tissues out to Laura because she roots for the Cincinnati Bengals, but she loves herself some Ezekiel Elliott. This is gonna be a tough game for her to watch. But I will tell her that the Cincinnati Bengals, her team, is gonna win over her favorite player. And that Mike is wrong because Cincinnati's defense is pretty good. Remember, they held, they didn't hold Antonio Brown, uh, I mean, catchless, but he didn't have his greatest game against Cincinnati, and that was at home in a rainy, uh, disgusting game out there. But Cincinnati wins this game. Dak Prescott finally shows a little bit of rookieism in his game. I think Ezekiel Elliott has less than 100 yards rushing in this contest. Give some hope to Cincinnati. I picked them up in my fantasy league as my starting defense. They win this game. All right. The 3-1, repeat that, 3-1 and one Los Angeles Rams are up against the Buffalo Bills, who came back and won again last week, shut out the Patriots the first time ever in that stadium in New England, 16-0. Uh, I think this would be a good game. Uh, I, I really hope Gurley gets it going because he's not really running very well. I think he had like something like 12 touches for like 30 yards again last week. At least he had 56, I believe, catching. But uh, I'm going to go with Buffalo. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I like the Buffalo defense to, uh, to, to stifle Case Keenum and company. But, you know, anything's possible with these two teams. You do know there's no Sammy Watkins in this game, right? Just, just saying. Yeah, yeah. You do know. No, no, I think Sammy Watkins hasn't done much, you know, since he came out of Clemson, in my opinion. I mean, he's had moments of greatness, but that foot injury, and like I said, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that's something that's going to linger for a long time if they don't fix him, get him right, shut him down. So it's the right move. But the Buffalo's defense, Buffalo's running. I mean, LaShawn McCoy looks great. So if they can ride him, I think uh, even, you know, and again, the LA Ram defense looks really good. So I think this would be a good game uh flip of a coin but you know i'm gonna go with buffalo just because i'm going with los angeles because they were able to shut down the seahawks and they play well against the cardinals they shut down that offense even though carson palmer got dinged buffalo just doesn't have enough for me i mean robert woods is your number one wide receiver for buffalo yes they do have LeSean mccoy and reggie bush but I'm not drinking the Rex Ryan Kool-Aid like Mike clearly is right now. I'm going with Los Angeles because they're playing really good defense, better defense than Buffalo at this point, and they're in Los Angeles. They have momentum. They are 3-1. and one. It could go 4-1, and one, and I think it happens. All right. San Diego and Oakland, the Battle of California. I mean, Oakland is without a doubt the worst 3 and 1 team I've ever seen in my life. They pulled it out again last week. It makes me nauseous every week that they barely come back, but I'm going to take them again in a shootout. No defense. 
<laughs> I mean, it's terrible. How much? You just threw shade and threw a bucket of ice cold water on yep. Oakland's hot start in it's one not, sentence. It's not really that hot. I mean, they're 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 three and one, but Latavius Murray is is running like like you know his foot is stuck in cement. I mean, D- Derek Carr looks okay. Amari Am- Cooper, yeah, yeah, the defense, yeah, like they playing, they're playing just well enough to win, which is fine because they had, they're not playing very good teams. Let's be honest, Mo, they're not playing very good teams. So while they are three and one and they're they're you know right there with the Broncos, I think once the schedule toughens up, I I don't I don't see good things, but they'll win this week against another really bad team. Oakland Raiders are playing well enough just to win, but the San Diego Chargers are playing bad enough to lose yeah. games, like under two minutes in the fourth quarter. How? Derek Carr, first of all, nine touchdowns, one interception. The guy is on fire right now. I know Mark Cooper doesn't have a touchdown, but that's because Michael Crabtree has had a rebirth in Oakland after his uh, unceremonious leave in San Francisco. He is the number one wide receiver there right now. Latavius Murray is in a walking boot, and his status for that game is in doubt, but they have DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard there. Oakland wins at home. They're going to beat the Chargers because the Chargers cannot stop anybody. You also said at the beginning of the show, Jason Verrett is out for the year, who's their number one cornerback. I know Casey Hayward is playing well, but Oakland is going to dominate this game and win by two touchdowns. By the way, Oakland did beat an undefeated Ravens team last week, so they they do have an impressive win. The Ravens have a pretty good defense, so give credit to Oakland. Stop hating. You picked them, so stop hating. Oakland wins this game. Baltimore's another team that shouldn't be 3-1. and one. They're another <laughs> overrated, barely. They, this is a team that was getting shellacked by the Browns, I think it was in week two. So don't give me that about the Ravens, okay? They're, if if uh, 65-year-old uh, Steve Smith on a walker didn't come out last week and have like 150 yards receiving, that team doesn't even have a prayer. So, uh, yeah, enough about the Ravens. Moving on to a team that... Just can't also catch a break these days. The New York Giants are going to go to Green Bay against the Packers, and I just think Aaron Rodgers coming off a bye week is going to just absolutely toast that Giants secondary. Yeah, I I think the the Giants lose this game to the Packers. It's a short week, bad loss, a lot of attention on Odell Beckham Jr. People are going to be watching him. Uh, I expect the Green Bay Packers cornerbacks to be physical with him. Green Bay has a lot more firepower than the Giants right now, and I think their defense is playing a lot, not a lot better, but a little bit better than the Giants D. Got to give it to Green Bay at Lambeau Field on Sunday Night Football. Absolutely. And the last game of the week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Carolina Panthers, and we still do not know if Cam Newton will play. I don't think it matters. I think Derek Anderson will come in and lead this team to a champion. No, champion, I'm kidding. Will lead this team to a win. Uh, you saw last week when he came in against the Falcons. I know the Falcons were, you know, up large and, you know, didn't really care anymore and went and prevent D. But uh, Anderson can throw, you know, if uh, it's going to depend on their defense, if their defense decides, you know, to actually show up like it hasn't much of this year. But uh, I do not trust Charles Sims. Uh, and and Jameis Winston again, he's just way too inconsistent for me. So you're putting your money on Derek Anderson. Yep, Derek Anderson. Yep, love him. I think he's yeah. great. He's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Tampa Bay number one. Number yeah. two. Have you watched the Carolina Panthers' pass defense? They just gave up 300 yeah. yards to Julio Jones, and Tampa Bay is coming in with two large wide receivers, Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans on that defense. It is going to be a Field day, Jameis Winston gets back on track against the Carolinas 
poor pass defense. If Cam Newton plays, I, you know, I think Carolina wins, but I, I have a feeling that he's not. I think Derek Anderson, I think the coach staff is pretty confident in Derek Anderson as you are, which is a big mistake. Yeah. I think he plays, and I think Carolina loses at home to Tampa Bay, who gets it back on track. Uh, I just feel like uh, Carolina is in the same situation as Arizona. You have to win. I mean, you, you can't you can't go... Yeah, what what would it be one in four? I mean, that's really it's that's a it's a bad it's a bad situation to be in for two teams that were supposed to be there at the end in the NFC. So again, not ideal situations. Potentially could be both missing their starting quarterbacks, but it is what it is. That's why you got the backups. That's why you pay them and you get them ready to play just in case. Well, if you're watching the Toronto Blue Jays and the Texas Rangers, Toronto's up seven nothing. BJ Upton or Melvin Upton, as his friends call him, just to hit a monstrous shot. So uh, maybe some. Of those predictions are going out the window for game one but uh it'll be interesting so mo i'm sorry the mets didn't make it but tune in and watch some fantastic baseball because there's probably no reason for you to watch arizona and the giant uh and the 49ers tonight is there absolutely none i'm probably not gonna watch that game because i don't want to uh i mean who throws bleach into their eyeballs so why yeah. would you watch that it's, game it's really true so yeah just watch something else anything else cnn uh the news <laughs> local news whatever hurricane watch do yeah. something else watch that football game yeah i, pro- I probably won't have power so i won't be watching anything but the dark so it'll be uh it'll be interesting but hopefully i will get this episode up before the power goes out so as always, hit us up on Facebook, Mike and Mo Show, Twitter, Mike and Mo Show, tweet, share, like, love on iTunes, leave us a comment, Stitcher is where you can find all the shows, all 34 episodes of the Mike and Mo Show, find us before we become world for ne- world known, and uh, we have to charge you for these episodes, because then, you know, it is what it is, baby, and, you know, Mo Dollars, Mo Money, Mo Buckets, all about Mo, Mo Things, really, right Mo? Absolutely. I mean, we're not going to try to fill up rivers, people, and and say we're gonna we're gonna stay no matter what. But you know, we're not completely like Ladanian Thomas and either. We're just gonna run for the money based on you know whatever the situation is. But we're trying to tell you that hey, jump on the ship now while it's here. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy Philip like San Diego fans. Enjoy Philip Rivers there while he's there. Okay? Yeah. Now, while he's there. Same thing with the Nolan Saints fans. Enjoy Drew Brees while he's in town because you never know. What could happen? Things can change within the span of 24 hours. So while Mike and Mo Show is free, check us out on Stitcher, as he said, or all over the place, on, on Facebook, on Twitter. We're out there. We're, we're posted. We have reactions to our fantasy football league. We have reactions to college football games on Saturday and, and games on Sunday. So look out for that. And absolutely, as we get closer to the NBA start of the season, we'll have our predictions. We'll have We'll have everything to get you ready. For the new season, we got a brand new fantasy feature coming for you that, uh, you know, Mike and Mo are going to try to take over the fantasy world as well. So plenty to get excited about, plenty to stay updated. I will tweet as long as my phone stays alive during this hurricane. So hit us up on Twitter, Facebook. As always, it's been fun. I'm Mike Calandrillo. He's Maurice Moten, the best in the business. We'll talk to you next week. Take care.